Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is a published author and entrepreneur. Her name is Joy R. Fisher Griffin. She is an experienced educator, a passionate adoption advocate, and a patron of the arts. After going through her own struggles as an adoptee, Joy wrote her memoir, Finding Joy, a true story of faith, family, and love. She shared her story so that she could help others who sit in silence about their struggles, and she continues to find ways to be open about adoption, not only with adults, but with young people too. She is the author of two best-selling children's adoption books, Choosing Joy, An Adoptee's Journey, and Finding Belonging, and Singing with Joy. There are lots of different ways to be a family. Joy's books are designed to bring awareness to adoption-sensitive topics and language. She believes adoptees, prospective adoptive parents, and adoptive and foster families can find resources and their community of support. She believes we can all stop whispering and let's talk adoption. With serving as a volunteer adoptee and survivor team coordinator with Miriam's Heart, Joy believes finding joy is possible. Allow me to introduce you to Joy, a same-race domestic adoptee from New Jersey who immediately jumped on board to give back to our community in a big way. Joy, I'm so glad that you're taking this opportunity to talk with me. Like, I'm really excited about it uh, for so many reasons. I found you on social media, and I'm just glad we're able to connect as adoptees. You know, I was really excited to call you like an hour earlier than I was supposed to, so (laughs) I really apologize for that. You know, the time zones kind of throw me, but how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I know your call got me up and moving and made sure I had everything in place. It was very much appreciated. Oh, good, good. I said, oh, man, I hope I didn't disturb you. So so I know you have written a book, and I'm currently reading it now. I'm uh, right at chapter three. And one of the things I want to first say is your writing style. I absolutely love it. And it's flowing so nicely, your, your story. Thank you, thank you. Yes. One of the things that I remember reading was you were a tomboy, and so we definitely have that in common. And I, ne- <laughs> and I never thought, like, yeah, I, do I want to be a boy? Like, Because I, I liked doing all the things the boys did, and I would often be mm-hmm. the only girl. So I, lo- I totally related to that part of your story. And, you know, I also get, get the sense that you're being very vulnerable in this book. That's admirable. <laughs> so, Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I'd like you to start wherever you would and share however much you'd like to share. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my memoir, Finding Joy, A True Story of Faith, Family, and Love, um, is a compilation of just 
different stories and things that I've written over the years. I've always been a writer, a journal keeper, if it's a calendar, anytime I had a moment to write or if something came to mind, I will put that in a notebook somewhere. Um, but at the age of four, around four or five, I think was when my adopted mother told me that I was adopted. I think she always used bedtime stories as our time of sharing and, and making up stories along the way. And I just recall her telling me about my birth mother couldn't take care of me and that she wanted another family to be able to find, to be able to raise me and take care of me and love me and the other things. And I just recall having those kind of conversations at night, not every night, but over a period of time where it just became a normal part of the conversation. So adoption by the time I got to kindergarten wasn't an unfamiliar word or, or topic. And I think from there, although it was brought up at a very early age, it wasn't something that we talked about often. Um, if something was going on in the news or in legislation, then it kind of came up, but it wasn't something that was mentioned on a regular basis. Every now and then, if I had a doctor's appointment and they would ask her about information on my medical history, it may come up. If someone would say something to my adopted father about how I don't look like him, I could hear him off on the side telling them, oh, she's adopted. So although it was, it was something I knew early on, it wasn't something that seemed to be comfortable conversation at, at many of the other times. And I think because of my complexion and not looking like my adoptive father, those often raise a lot of identity questions. I think now the term they use is what multiracial or ambiguous. And that wasn't something, it, it was always, well, what are you? What are you? And I think those identity issues made me really wonder, what was I? I knew that I was Black. But what, as people will say, but what are you mixed with? Mm -hmm. And I never had the answer to that. And I think even when we go through schools and you get those cultural projects and you get family trees, um, over time, those were some of the things that sat in the back of my mind, but I would never talk about it. When, when I would go out in middle school and in high school and to different stores and people would say, oh, we saw someone who looks like you. I would literally get frozen in my tracks, even through adulthood, when somebody said they saw someone who looked like me, because I knew that they didn't know that I was adopted. But I knew you're always searching, or I was always searching and looking around for people who look like me when you don't have that in your adoptive family. Right. Um, in, in May 2014, Governor Christie enacted the Adoptee Birth Rights Act. And a lot of that was came to life through work by an organization called New Jersey Care, New Jersey Coalition of Adoption Reform and Education. And many of their advocates fought for the legislation to change in the state of New Jersey because every state is different in terms of their adoption laws. And what they wanted to change was close adoption records. So in 1940 in New Jersey, adoption records were sealed from 1940 to 2015. And this new legislation that was announced in 2014 was coming to life to say that now we're going to open these closed adoption birth records. So over, like I said, over the years, my adoptive parents wasn't our topics of conversation about adoption came up when something was in the news, when something was in the newspaper. And that was, I guess, their way of checking in on me as well because then they would present whatever article was in the paper and say, this is what's coming up. You know, what are your thoughts on this? So they always knew, I think, that I was eventually going to search 
but you never really knew how the story was going to end. So 2014, the legislative announcement was made. 2017, the law was enacted. And that meant that adult adoptees could now apply for their original birth certificate and you could obtain a record for it. Now, so did was, you, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I just want to ask you, did you know that there was an original birth certificate out there? I, I didn't know what that meant. I knew that it meant that I had, that it would give me my birth parents name. For the most part, I just assumed just your birth mother because I, I don't know, I think as adoptees, sometimes we think Papa was a rolling stone and you're not going to get that information anyway. So I just assumed that it would give me my birth mother's name. What I didn't know was that it also would give me my birth name, the name that my birth mother had given me when I was born. I had no idea that that even uh, existed until I went to the legislative celebration with um, NJ Care members, and they were talking about all the information that you would actually get on a uh, on your original birth certificate. On our adoptees' birth certificates, we get we have our adopted name, our adoptive parents' names. I had my birth weight, birth height and birthday and the city and state that I, that I was born in. Didn't even have the hospital. So when, when we talk as adoptees to people who have, a, have an original birth certificate, they don't even understand the magnitude of just having that piece of information that we as adoptees don't get. Exactly. Um, so when I went to college on a, just a side note, when I went to college in the city that I was born, I knew that I was born in that city, but had no idea what hospital because that's not included on my adopted birth certificate. And so when I found out about this legislation through my adoptive parents, I said, let me go ahead and apply. Let's see what happened, what's gonna happen. The caveat to the law though, that a lot of people weren't aware of is that birth parents had a right to say, we don't want them to have our information. Let's redact it from documentation. Mm -hmm. And redacting pretty much meant just blacking out the information off of the document. So you would get it. I'm so glad you shared that because Illinois would do the same thing in terms of changing the adoption law. It did include the opportunity for birth parents to redact, yeah, information about themselves. Yep. So, so as adoptees, you're going in excited that you're going to apply for your original birth certificate. But on the other hand, you're not sure if you're going to get any information back because right. they had that right to do that. And, and with redacting the information, New Jersey's original portion of the law said that they would have to give you your medical records. But over revision and revision and revisions done to the law over time, once it got to finally putting the law in place, they took that piece out some of your other basic information, but it could be redacted and you were not guaranteed to get your medical history, which is a piece that you hear a lot of adoptees talk about that they want. I applied January 11th. I went to the legislative announcement. That was where I met the folks from NJ Care, the advocates. That was the first time in my 40s that I was around adoptees, adopted parents, and birth parents in a room where they talked about adoption, just like it was normal conversation. (laughs) I had never had that experience before. So I'm sitting there listening as they're sharing their stories. Again, just like normal conversation. And all I could do was cry. I cried from the beginning of the event to the end of the, the event, just listening to them tell their stories, tell it with such ease, with such grace. And these weren't, some of these stories were tough stories to hear but they were able to share that information. And as they shared, I felt like I was being healed in the process mm. to hear that they were that had um, felt instances of, of shame 
where they were had fears of abandonment, where they dealt with identity issues. And when they said that, it was like a light bulb went off in my mind. So I'm not crazy. I'm not <laughs> weird. I have adoption issues. And so from that point on, I realized, okay, all these years that I thought I didn't have any issues with being adopted because I was adopted by a great family, I do have adoption issues. And, and that's what it is. I do have fears of abandonment. I do have issues where I'm, I'm just, I'm truly just worried that people are going to leave and that I'm not good enough. And that's something that I struggled with for many years. In the back of my mind, always sat, if my birth mother didn't keep me and my birth parents didn't keep me, then why would I be good enough for anybody else? Mm. And that's a struggle that has impacted my actions. It's impacted my life. It's impacted my relationships over time. And as I got to sit around that table and listen to those adoptive parents, adoptees and birth parents share their story, perspectives I had never heard before. It, it was like a light bulb moment that, okay, I need to find out who these people are, when they meet, what they offer, what they know, and how can I get to the place where they are? And then as they began to, the presenters began to speak, there's a woman named Pam Hasegawa, who's uh, one of the big adoption advocates throughout the United States. And she was the one of the spearheading people for the organization who fought for the laws in New Jersey for 34 years. So 34 years she had given of her life, not even a New Jersey adoptee, to help change the laws in our state. Let, let's and just take so, a moment to give a shout yeah. out because I, you know, we've got a lot in common with our stories. And when you tell me that you had met Pamela Hasegawa, I'm like, I know Pam and I know yeah. how hard she has worked. So I just want to take a moment to shout out to her. Yeah, she she's an amazing woman. And as I sat there and listened to her and Tom and many of the other folks who were in the room, I realized, okay, she's been doing this for 34 years. Here I was in the room, just went on a whim to this uh, celebration. And what was I going to now give back? Here I was sitting at the table, first time experience with this type of conversation in a room where everybody in the room had something to do with adoption. So one, how was I going to learn from them? How was I going to get to that place of healing that they were out, they were at? And then how was I going to take what I learned and share it with people in my community. Because right. I, as I sat in that room, there were four black people in the room and one of them was the guest speaker. So that let me know that if we rely on the media, had I not been there that day, all the information and the gems that were dropped in those sessions, I would never have had privy to that information. So I, I just find, kind of felt compelled to now figure out how to share my story once I got to a better place because I was still at that crying place. I could, I knew that was going to take some time. Once I got to a better place, I wanted to be able to give back to someone else what I received at that table that day. And that was just realizing that I'm normal. These are adoption issues and I can get through this. Yeah, I think so, one so of, that was a big part of it. Yeah. Like I came from a really good home. You know, I had great parents and and it's really something very different that a lot of people, non-adopted people, don't understand. That that's separate and apart from wanting to know your original family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's that's a big deal. But it does not mean that you don't like your adoptive family or there's a, exactly. pro a problem with how you grew exactly. up. Yeah. One of the guys, Tom, who also spoke at that event, Tom McGee, he said... Um, 
this adoption search and reunion is not a subtraction problem. It's an addition problem. And many people in the world see anytime we want to search or anytime we want information about our identity that we're trying to subtract our adoptive family from our lives. And it's not that at all. Right. And one of the pieces I use in the book or stories that I share is that as a mom of three girls, people don't question me on, on who I love and who I don't love or that I can't love all three of my daughters at the same time because they know that I can. So I always challenge audiences and people that I speak to. Doesn't the same apply if we're talking about an adoptee who has two sets of parents? Why is it that the world is asking us to choose between one or the other as if we can't love them both? So that's just something that in terms of adoption sensitivity that I hope people are able to wrap their brains around. That just like I can love my three children, I can love four parents. Exactly. There's room enough for everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I like your quote. I believe that's your quote. A, union, a reunion for an adoptee is about adding to the family and not subtracting from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's said. hard for people to wrap their brains around sometimes. I often talk to people about secondary wounding statements. When I got, well, aren't you going to hurt your adoptive parents' feelings? Or how could you do that to them because they took you in, this, that, and the other? And then I'm going, have you given any thought about what my experience might be as the adoptee? You know, it's not that it's anything against them. I love them. And if they're okay with me going out and searching and finding out my identity and, and answering these questions that are yearning inside of me, why is it so much of your concern number one and two if they're okay why is why does that bother you so much right yeah exactly so you applied for your original birth certificate and tell me like what it felt like when you first saw it that was january 11th uh i received my obc in the mail it was pretty thick remember i told you if they redacted their names then they were supposed to send you your medical history so I'm panicking. I don't want to open the envelope because it's thick. So in my mind, that means they redacted their information. I'm not going to have anything new except for my medical history. So while on one hand, I was excited about that. I couldn't stop crying. I put the envelope away and said, I'll come back to it. But two or three hours later, I finally came down and opened the envelope. I had forgotten that I ordered two copies of my original birth certificate. And so mm. that's why the envelope was so so <laughs> thick, because they gave you some information about the law. They gave you some information about counseling. But when I received it and opened it, I to one to see all the information that's on an actual birth certificate. I mean, I've looked at my children's birth certificate for years, but never thought of it until I actually saw mine. How you have the full information, uh, you, your race, your identity, whether she went to um, prenatal care and just all kinds of information that I never even knew was on an original birth certificate. Then to see a name, to see the birth name and to see my birth mother's name, it made me feel complete. It made me feel like a like a person like here is something that validates my existence before I, I be, before I was adopted. Right. So I, you see I, I her. I can't even explain it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put into words. I remember seeing my birth mother's name and her signature. And like it's ingrained in me now. Like I can just picture her signature and what it felt like to see it for the first time is really hard to explain. I remember being very emotional. So you see your name given at birth. And what is it? Sherry Lynn. Now, as soon as I saw that, I said, I don't think I look like a Sherry. But, 
Uh, you know, mine is Bonnie Lynn. Yeah, Lynn wow. is, and it's spelled the same way. Like when I learn more and more about your story, I'm like, there's so many parallels. Wow. <laughs> yeah, maybe Lynn was popular back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I received my original birth certificate. Now, a year and a half prior, I had met a cousin on um, ancestry. And she and I could not figure out how we were related. And she had just sent me a message a few days before that said, you know, Happy New Year. Do you have any new information? Because a few months prior, I told her, you know, it's been a year and a half. We can't figure out how we're related. In January, I should have my original birth certificate. If I have some information, then I'll reach out to you and let you know what I have. So as soon as I got my original birth certificate, I sent it over to my my cousin, Pat. And cousin Pat and I, we, ancestry came up that she was either first, second, or third cousin. So we knew we were close. And at one point she thought that we were sisters. And then when I gave her the name and she had about two, two, 3,000 folks on her family tree. So I knew that she would do the research and see how we connected to one another. Mm-hmm. A few hours later, she called me back and said, you know, I don't see this name on anything. She said, I've looked at dates, I've looked at locations, I've looked at everything that it could possibly be, but this name doesn't come up. And then a light bulb went off for both of us. We're like, we're related on my birth father's side. She said, okay, well, let's do some research. Let's, let's pop her name in. You do Facebook, Google. And so we're popping in the name. And I put my birth mother's name in and up pops a picture. One, it says that she's in, she's in education and I'm in education. Two, she was in the city right next door. And that completely blew my mind. And the third thing was she looks just like my adopted mother. Mm. And that blew me away. And now I know that, that back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, they would do what's called matching. I didn't know that that was a practice back then where they would try to match the adoptive parents with some some looks or features that are similar to the birth parents. Right. And when I say they got it spot on, most people think that my, when we went out a couple times that my birth mother, my adoptive mother, they think they're twins. Mm. And so, so it's funny because over the years, I always thought I looked similar to my adopted mother, more so in complexion. But when I look at my birth mother, you see exact features. So it, it's like the mirror, you're looking at a mirror. And I understand they call that mirroring. So with my adopted mom, we match. But with my birth, birth mom, we mirror. Right. And trying to get people to understand that sometimes they're like, but you you wrote in the book that you don't look like your adopted mother. I don't. We we're the same complexion and, and we could we do match. But mm-hmm. once you see me with birth family members, you're like, oh, OK, now I get it. And so when I look at my daughters and they look at me, look like me at different stages, I could see that in my my birth mother. I saw her nose. I saw her forehead. I saw the the one cheek is slightly bigger than the other. I saw the, the structure of her chin. So, you know, all those specific things I don't see in my adopted mother, but I do see complexion and hair texture and things of that nature. So right. those kind of things. And one thing that is very different between our stories is that I was not able to reunite. So when you, and that's because my birth mother was deceased. So when mm-hmm. you reunite with your birth mom, I would like to know what that experience was like. Once I got the original birth certificate and found out that she was in the, still in the state of New Jersey, 
and we found out that she was an associate pastor at the church again but and possibly lived in the city next door so i sent a letter to both locations in hopes that she would respond to some things that i had posted to her on her facebook messenger page or whatever the page was called at that time and i used my birth name in the information because i didn't want her to think that i was a fake or a phony and so once she and i connected she never wanted to actually talk to me and i didn't understand that she would message me she would email me but she would not talk to me and then i later found out that she didn't want to talk to me until we actually met in person she said i didn't want to hear your voice until i actually saw you mm. that was uh january late january was when she and i actually connected via messenger she then gave me my birth father's name i sent that name to that cousin pat that i had found on ancestry before i could finish getting the next statement out to my cousin she was calling me on the phone saying that's my first cousin you're gonna love him he's so <laughs> kind you're gonna love him let's call him i don't think he knows about you and she's going on and on and i was like no not you know, i didn't expect all that in one day right so then i said how about you call him and then i'll i'll keep communicating with her i, I was on overload at that point i'm in my room by myself going through all of this then my, my birth mother and I finally get to the point where we decide that we're going to meet. And then again, she's an associate pastor. She felt compelled to give her testimony before her church to let them know what her life was like before my existence and of my existence because none of them knew. It sounds like she was really glad you found her. Yeah. And that's one thing that one of the things that was great about New Jersey's team of advocates, there were a number of birth mothers in the legislation, the, the, those that, that were against the legislation being changed to open the records, kept saying that birth mo mothers were promised to be anonymous and birth mothers didn't want their names revealed. But the group in New Jersey had birth mothers who were there to say, that's not true. There was no nothing in our they call it their primary documents that they originally signed and some of them had them from when they relinquished their children that said that we have remained anonymous to our children so they kept making their voices heard and then as i got to know my birth mother she said that was one of the main reasons why i always wanted to keep my name the same she said i always wanted to put my name you know make sure that it's written a certain way on different things in the event that you ever did find me Right. So I, I think it was a part of the healing process for her as well. Mm -hmm. So there's benefits to it to not just the adoptee. There's many birth parents who are looking for their children and hoping for connection. And there's some that don't want it as well. So it goes both ways. Yeah, I agree. And I do think in the 60s, I was born in 64, and I know you mm -hmm. were born in 70. So during that time, I think that was the case, that birth parents were told, hey, Go home, pretend it didn't happen. Happen, yeah. Yeah, and don't even think about searching, like in the future. Oh, yeah, all of that. And they were um, convinced that that was the way they should be. Yeah. Yeah, so. And, and, you know, you bring shame to the family and, you know, unwed mothers and are not, were not accepted as they are today. So life was completely different for our birth parents going through those times being pregnant. It's just so many things that I think reunions open up on both sides. It's, but I believe it's also a, a difficult time as well. 
So my, my birth mother gave me my birth father's name. My uh, cousin reached out to my birth father. She calls me back and says, you know, I, you know, she said he knew about you. She swore up and down that he didn't know about me. She said, I did find out he knew about you. I said, oh, I know he knew. What she didn't know was that I had already received my non-identifying information from uh, the, the adoption agency. When I had my second child, I wanted to make, I wanted to see what kind of medical information they had. And so I paid and got my non-identifying information, which told me then that he knew that she was pregnant because she put that in the, in the documentation. And uh, so when I told my cousin, I said, no, he knows that I exist. And then she called back and confirmed. She said, but I don't think he's, he's going to call you for a few days. He's, he was still kind of blown away with the information. <laughs> and so 45 minutes later, my phone is ringing. It's him. He's calling. And we talked for at least a good two and a half hours. Wow. And he just kept pouring into me family history and, you know, things I should be proud of based on different accomplishments of different family members. And it, it, it was just, it, it was amazing. And it was, I have still have pages of notes from just when he was talking, telling me about my aunt, about my brother, about different, different members of the family and things that they've done. And I always say I liken that to him wanting me to know that you don't come from junk, you know, just just because you were relinquished at birth or we didn't keep you that that you don't come from junk so that you should be proud of where you come from. Right. And now, so, do you so do, do you look like him? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I look like both of them. Right. I um th the other thing I didn't mention is that when I met my birth mother, or, or no, when I originally got my non-identifying information years ago about my birth mother, for years I had always looked in, and I'm going to date myself, Essence and Ebony magazines and the Jet magazines, thinking I'm going to see my birth mother because I was tall and I was thin. And so when I actually got my non-identifying information and realized she's five six, I said, okay, I'm looking in the wrong <laughs> spot. She would have never been in any of those magazines. Right. Uh, but then when I met my birth father, I want to say he's at least six four, six five, and just turning the corner, my adopted mother said, um, "That's where you get your height from." That's and so. Um, th that's... Then it began to make sense. Yeah, that is so cool. And I I remember reading on page seventeen of your book, Finding Joy. Every interaction with my birth parents sheds light on my being, and that's yeah. th that line really speaks to me because when people might be a little ambivalent about searching and being in reunion, it's a powerful way to learn more about yourself. Mm -hmm. and yeah. And it, it, you know, it's the good, bad and ugly, but it is still a part of answering questions. Questions. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that part of that too, that people don't understand what it, they'll say to me, well, Joy, your story was, you had a happy ending. Everything, you know, kind of worked out well. I said, but going back to that conversation at that table at the legislative announcement, there were plenty of not so happy stories that adoptees shared at the table about reunions that failed, reunions, relationships that didn't work with their birth parents. But they had the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. They had the opportunity to to make those choices on their own. And they they were armed with information that they never would have gotten. The relationships may or may not pan out to be what we may dream for them to be. But 
give us the opportunity to make that decision on our own. Give us the give. Let make sure that we have the right to that that information. I agree. Yeah, and I think too that when I embarked upon searching, you know, my why changed throughout the journey uh, mm-hmm. in reunion because there were things that were the way they were, and and so now it's a matter of what is possible. And that that just keeps happening. It's just just that a journey. And you're right. What you found really seemed to work out in many ways. You know, being able to be in reunion with both maternal and paternal sides, uh, and it is not certainly is not that way for many adoptees. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, we extend the invitation when we are searching our in reunion for whoever is there to get to know us. We, we're doing right. our part. I always say it's like when you invite someone to a party, they may not be able to come. They may, they may not even RSVP, you know, but you extended it. You included them on the list as being invited. It's something I think really powerful in that when we as adoptees do extend the invitation for people to get to know us. I'm glad you did. And when you yeah. yeah, when you first got connected to the adoption community meeting Pam Hasagawa and others, many others, I know that was it's probably a great experience being in the room with other adoptees. What would you say has been the best thing about being connected to the community? That's it. That, that that's exactly <laughs> it. Being connected and being able to talk to people who get it. You can't have these conversations with everybody. You can be open and honest. I found uh, through NJ Care, there's a Morristown support group. And I actually went to the support group the day before I met my birth mother. Because again, I saw the, how they were able to share their story and I wanted to get to that place. So that that's the big thing that I'm a proponent for is finding a support group, finding a small group of people who you can talk to about what you're going through, what you're thinking, who aren't going to be judgmental, whether that's a counselor to work through all this. Although it was a positive, has had a positive ending, there's a lot of highs and lows um, that you go through in a, in a reunion, when you come up with challenges within a reunion, dealing with new information you find out about yourself. So I think once you can find a community to connect with, that's your support. That's your support network who you can just be open and honest with. And that's a piece that I definitely recommend for any adoptee, adoptive parent, and birth parent. And if you can find a group that has all three members of the triad, it's so beneficial because in that room, in our support group sessions, I could hear birth parents and how they were struggling with their adopted child or their birth child, not necessarily responding to them as fast as they wanted to, how they kind of still felt disconnected and didn't know how to build on a relationship. And then I got to hear from adopted parents who had children who were going through that experience. And that's very rare that you find a support group that has all three members of, of the adoption triad. Yeah. But I think support groups and, and getting help and then just learning about resources uh, through NJ Care. I learned about NJ Arch, which is an organization in New Jersey that send you will, kind of, I was going to say kind of rent, but they let you borrow resources. So every book or anything you can think of on adoption, you just write to them and then they send it back to you. Oh, Through them, good. I learned about. That's good to know. Yeah. 
I learned about um, Tapestry Books. Tapestry Books is the one publishing house that has nothing but adoption books. I've never seen anything like it. And I only happened to see it when I went to see Pam get an award as an at the advocate of the year down in Atlanta, but they travel from state to state and do many tours, many conferences, but tapestrybooks.com, they have all kinds of adoption resources. Now imagine if our parents and our families would have known that these things were out there. Imagine if I could have had this conversation, not at 46 years old, but down when I was five, 10, 11, and, and just having normal conversations about adoption where it didn't seem so mysterious. And so you didn't come with it with such embarrassment or shame. And so th those are the kind of things that I would love for parents and educators to be aware of, to be able to help support our adopted children. Yes, very, very well said. Thank you for that. I know you're an educator and adoption advocate, and I highly recommend everyone get a copy of Finding Joy that you published. I know I want to ask you a little bit about the Belong Project. The theme belonging keeps coming up when, when we talk about adoption, trying to find our place and wanting to feel like we belong in certain environments and certain conversations. And I wanted to take the memoir and break it down into smaller chunks for children, because I think our kids can talk about everything under the sun. So why can't we start having conversations about adoption? Adoption is just another diverse form of having a family. We all know somebody who's adopted. Young people are in schools across the, the nation who are adopted. So let's begin to have those conversations as if they're normal conversations to normalize a conversation about adoption. So the Belong Project was really, it's really just the umbrella that I've used as the, I guess, approach to present the stories about adoption for young people. I want people to believe adoptee stories, but also bridge the gap within the adoption triad. I think we need to educate the general public about the real impact of adoption, but also equip adoptees with tools to thrive. I, I hope that we can begin to lend our voices to advocacy efforts because there's a lot going on in the world that adoptees, you know, just aren't even aware of and adoptive families aren't even aware of. And then how do we liberate the hearts of those who are suffering in silence to change that legacy of loss? Because for years I didn't say anything about being adopted. And now I, I feel that I'm compelled to share that story. There's so many resources. I want us to operationalize the care across all sectors, organize systems of support. I think in schools, there's so much more that we can be doing. Um, again, in is to normalize the conversation. We need to nurture and care for those vulnerable populations. Our families need some support. Our families need some, some assistance. How can we use what we have to give them what they need and give adequate resources that are needed for adoptees to thrive? make spaces for members of the adoption triad to grieve their losses as well, because there is a grief, grief process that comes along with all that. And I think if we can do many or all of those things, or even some of those things, adoptees, adoptive and foster families will begin to believe that they have a place, that they, have, they, they can belong in, in all environments, that they have a space. You are just a dynamic speaker. <laughs> I could just listen to you on and on. Yeah, I just, that was so well said. And I just thank you so much. You've, you've just said so many things the listeners will benefit from. You said that so well. So I guess in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to leave adoptees with or any member of the Constellation? I think 
we covered a lot. Yeah. I mean, there are two <laughs> things, though. There, there's a group that I, I do volunteer with. It's called Miriam's Heart. I was approved to the Board of Trustees in December. So in February, I'll be actually appointed to the Board of Trustees. And, and I'm excited about the work that they do with adoptive and foster families. And one of the things we're doing through that organization is introducing people who want to help adoptive and foster families, introducing them to ways that they actually can help. You know, everybody doesn't want to adopt a child. Everybody doesn't want to uh, or doesn't have the means to give money to do things. But one of the things that one of the examples we often use is there's many people that take in foster children who it can be pretty hectic in the beginning, in the first couple of weeks, a couple of months. So if we pictured a community beginning to realize what can you offer? What are your gifts and talents? So if you have a restaurant, let's say you're a chef and you like to cook, you don't want to adopt a child, you don't have the money to donate, you're an entrepreneur, but you can cook. So could you offer meals to that family who's bringing in a new foster child or a new foster couple of siblings or a new adopted child where families are fending for themselves, trying to figure things out as they have these new family members coming into their lives or new children coming into their lives. How else can you help? Folks who, barbers and beauticians, how could you support some of the adoptive and foster families that are in your area? So through Marion's Heart, we're beginning to do a lot of work with churches and other organizations who have folks in the community who want to help, who, but they just don't know what they should do. So that's one of the things that we're, we're very big on. And we're not an adoption agency, it's a group of volunteers. The other piece that we offer, the piece that we didn't touch on is, is adoptive parents. There's a lot of folks who are interested in expanding their families through adoption. But where do you go and who do you talk to? Again, because it's, it brings a sense of shame and a sense of embarrassment when people have to go into their infertility issues or whatever their issues are. They don't wanna talk about that with everybody. So through Miriam's Heart, we also do quarterly adoption and foster 101 sessions. I always tell people, you don't have to come in and ask one question. We take you through the most often asked questions and we have experts who are on the call. We do things virtually via Zoom where you can just find out about adoption and foster care. Not that you're committing to anything, but just if you want to hear, if you're interested and not sure where to turn. So Miriam'sHeart.org is, is the organization that I, I volunteer with. Sherry Eldred's books, 25 Things or 20 Things That Adopted Children Wish Their Adopted Parents Knew. There's some great information in many of the resources that are out there. But again, it's really just about making sure we share those resources so people know where to turn. That's good. That's really good. And I will include in the show notes everything you've shared here. So I just thank you so much for taking the time. I know this is being recorded at the end of 20. 21 and yes. a lot has happened we just hope that everybody is doing well yes <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me it's been wonderful thank you thank you for having me I enjoyed hearing Joy talk about how NJ Care played a major role with her introduction to the adoption community meeting Pamela Hasegawa in New Jersey and many others who fought hard and long to change the adoption laws in that state was nothing short of life-changing for Joy. I already know the power of connection she made in the same room with Pam. I too had the same experience many years ago when I was a newcomer to the community of the Constellation. Joy strings her words together effortlessly 
for me to learn about her journey. As an educator, I'm sure many students adopt her as their mentor and sage on the stage. It is my belief that you received her wisdom during this episode and will carry some of her ideas along your journey. Thank you, Joy, for taking the time to have this conversation with me, for us and others to know the importance of sharing our stories. There is a healing benefit of receiving and giving back to our beautiful adoption community in many ways. Remember to always look at the show notes of each episode for more information about our guest. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag Adoptee Land. Thank you for being here.